Hi, welcome to Faith Place. I'm your host, Millie Faton, and today is the third Wednesday of the month, so it's our Empowerment Wednesday. Listen, I'm excited about the conversation with my special guest today. I've wanted to have her stop by Faith Place for quite some time, so I'm glad that we were able to make it happen before 2020 ended. So stay tuned for our conversation a little bit later on. But thank you so much for stopping by and welcome. So this is the latest. This is the opportunity that I get to review what's been going on in the world around me and in my life. And so I tell you what, this has been a week of um, just a lot of major news stories happening. Um, Finally, uh, we had the confirmations from the Electoral College that um, officially confirmed President-elect Joseph Biden. Um, This is what so many Republicans have been waiting for, if you will, to make it official. And so here it is. It's official. Um, There was no fraud. Um, All 50 states confirmed and there was no issues. So now finally, um, I think it's what it took for um, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to say, hey, congratulations. And, you know, the country has spoken. The Electoral College has spoken. So he finally congratulated President-elect Joe Biden and acknowledged his victory. Um, You know, we're not going to hear it from the president. uh, I'm sure (laughs) Uh, he's, he's not going to say congrats. He's not going to concede, but Hey, we don't need him to at the end of the day, January 20th, he'll be out of the white house. So I'm happy that that part is um, done. It's kind of like been the ongoing um, aspect of, this election that should have been done on November 3rd, but you know, we've been waiting. So here we are. Uh, It was actually broadcasted like the Electoral College has never been broadcasted in its entirety, but it was because, uh, you know, the American public needed to see that democracy, um, is still at work. So I'm happy that that happened. Um, the other thing that happened is that also we have early voting that has taken, that has started in Georgia for the two Senate seats that are in a runoff. Um, this is crucial and you don't have to be from Georgia to realize how crucial it is. You don't have to be from Georgia, to live in Georgia, to support um, these candidates that are in the Senate runoff. Um, You never have to be, and I've shared this before, you never have to be from 
from the state or live in the state of any um, officials that are running for office to support their work. You can volunteer remotely. You can phone bank for them. You can donate. There's so many ways to get involved to support um, something that someone that you believe in um, whose whose priorities and convictions uh, you believe in and so for me personally and so many people i know we're fighting for john osnoff and for reverend Raphael warnick like to be elected january 5th um that's going to be election day in in Georgia for the Senate runoff. And the reason why it's so important for Democrats specifically um, is that if, if these two seats are won by Democrats, then Democrats, Democrats will get control of the Senate barely by one but we'll have control. It'll be tied at 50-50. And then Vice President-elect Kamala Harris gets to have the deciding vote. So that's why it's so key. That's why it's so important. Um, so much needs to change in government. So, so much damage has been done. So many people are hurting with the pandemic. And we're tired of the fight. We're tired of the back and forth struggle. Um, we're waiting for a stimulus package to be passed that actually benefits the American public. And we've been waiting for months now. And I'm not certain that we'll have a package that's that passes in the next week or two before this current stimulus runs out on December 26th. I hope so. I, like many people, I've been collecting unemployment, been unemployed. And so I hope that the two parties can come together and pass a stimulus bill that really makes sense for the people. Lastly, we finally have a vaccination that's been administered to many healthcare workers so far. Um, between yesterday and today, as I record this on Tuesday, December 15th. And so there's a sigh of relief. Um, I can't imagine um, this, the relief for those healthcare workers who have been on the front line and have put their lives at risk to take care of this the endless lives who have suffered some who have died and so now this vaccination is a chance at life again at at normalcy again so it's just the beginning we still have a long way to go um they're saying if everything um, goes right and as planned, then everyone who wants a vaccination in this country should have it by June. 
And so here's to hoping that that's the case. All right. Well, that's the latest. On the road to 50, these are the lessons that I'm learning on the road to turning 50, April 22nd, 2021. So the lesson for this week is actually a popular quote that many of you may have ever heard before, but I, I really was kind of focusing and honing in on it this week just because of just some life lessons I've been learning um, and experiences as of late. But the quote is this. Tell me, and I forget. Teach me, and I remember. Involve me, and I learn. And that quote is from Benjamin Franklin. Let me say that one more time. Tell me, and I forget. Teach me, and I remember. Involve me, and I learn. So what is so riveting about this quote is that it really is the way that we as a human society really function. Um, I think about as we age, oftentimes, <laughs> I know that's been the case for me, that you tell me something and, and oftentimes I'm like, wait a minute, what did that person just say? And as I'm getting older, uh, I remember somebody telling me, man, once you turn 40, something, something kind of just goes with your memory. And I was like, really? But then I turned 40 and I was like, hmm, yep, I see what they mean. And and it's <laughs> it's progressed um, as I've uh, aged in my 40s. And, you know, I'll be 50 next year. And I'm like, wow, like, I just don't remember the things like I used to. And it's interesting because when I think about just some of the things that I've been taught over the years, whether, you know, it's lessons or, you know, whether it's um, some type of art or some type of craft um, and how to do those things, um, I realized that, again, as I age, I remember them, but not as well. And sometimes I just kind of remember the concept of it and stuff. It might not really remember the details, but um, there's great knowledge and remembrance in, in the things that I've learned over the years and stuff. Because in learning, you've got to kind of put that thing to practice, right? But then I think about involvement. And when I'm engaged in something, um, there's, there's nothing quite like that experience. I, for many years, have been um, involved in productions. Um, for many years, it was a, a line of work and special events. And there's something about gathering a group of people collectively um, to get involved in something or being a part of a group 
project that just sticks with you. You just never forget that experience. And so as I thought about this quote, and was just kind of thinking about just, um, I'm in this stage right now where I'm really uh, doing a lot of intense planning for 2021 and just some specific things of uh, that I've always had um, on my heart, on my mind for when I turn 50. And so I've been thinking about just some of the things that um, um, I've learned over the years, things that have been taught to me um, and things that have been shared um, with me um, and things that I've been engaged and involved with. And so this quote came to my mind. I had to look for it because I was like, man, this is this is something that um, in this next chapter of my life, um, I want to make sure that I am engaged and involved in a deeper level, in a deeper way than I've been before. And that those things that I'm involved with are really the things that I am truly passionate about. So that's my lesson on the road to 50. Listening, watching, reading. What am I listening to? What am I watching? And what am I reading? So I, as I've shared before, am a fan of all genres of music. But the music that I listen to when I am really in a planning mode or just in deep concentration um, when I'm journaling, oftentimes is classical um i'm a i'm a big fan of classical music i grew up um, learning to play classical piano my grandmother uh, taught piano and she taught classical piano and i actually went to piano lessons and stuff as well and so i grew up learning to play classical music on the piano Wish it was something that I stuck with, but I didn't, unfortunately. But I can still actually get on a piano and play a couple different things and stuff that just, you know, kind of like they say, like it's riding a bike. Sometimes you just always remember certain things. So, um, so yeah, so I've always been a fan of classical music. And so what I'm listening to is a project called Songs of Comfort and Hope, which is so appropriate for this season, especially Songs of Comfort and Hope. And it's by Yo-Yo Ma and Catherine Scott. And, you know, Yo-Yo Ma is um, a well-known um, uh, classical artist. And so uh, you've probably seen him on a variety of, of shows recently as relates to award shows. And I know he's done, um, I think, a couple of the um, um, memorial um, portion of award shows for those who've passed. And, and so um, I've always been a fan of his and have, you know, listened to him for quite some years now. Um, Catherine Scott, a, a couple times, not as, not as much as Yozio Ma, but um, it's just a great collaboration. And so I'd encourage you to listen to that project. And it really, um, it, it's such a soothing 
um, project and it it really I think plays to the the title um, it really is like songs of comfort and hope so again check that out the artists are Yo-Yo Ma which is Y-O-Y-O and then last name is M-A and then Catherine Scott which is K-A-T-H-R-Y-N and then Scott S-C-O-T-T all right what I'm watching is um, new, new, um, new series on NBC, and it's called Nurses. Now, at first I was like, another medical series. How many medical series can we have? But I thought about the fact that a few of the medical series that um, I've watched this um, this fall that have returned post-COVID and have included COVID as their part of their storylines, I felt like have done a great job as, as it relates to seeing the medical perspective. And so when I look at the fact that really on shows, there hasn't been an emphasis that's been primarily on nurses. And, you know, many people would agree that nurses are the bread and butter of the medical community. Um, you know, the doctors may come in and they may operate on you and, you know, uh, tell you what the treatment needs to be, but the nurses really care, care for you and comfort you and, you know, uh, change you if you need to be, you know, changed and stuff like, so, um, it's a really great, look at just the nurse's perspective and so um, it's only a couple episodes in but I'm enjoying it so far I'm enjoying seeing that different perspective so again it's called nurses and it is on NBC and what I'm reading is a collection of poetry that's about love loss trauma and healing I I love poetry I'm an avid fan of poetry I used to try to write poetry when I was in uh, high school and college, but um, not so much. But I've always enjoyed reading it. I've always enjoyed listening to it. And so it's called Milk and Honey is the name of the, the book, Milk and Honey. And the author, let me spell it for you, is R-U-P-I. And the last name is K-A-U-R. R-U-P-I, which I believe is Rupi or Rupai. And the last name is K-A-U-R, which I believe is pronounced car. So check that out. Um, I think it's something that we can all relate to, whether it's love, loss, trauma, or healing. We've all been there. We've all been through it. And so I think that it'll speak to uh, the depth of all of our experiences as, as the human society. All right. But that's what I'm listening to, that's what I'm watching, and that is what I'm reading. Well, welcome back to Faith Place. And as I said, today is the third Wednesday of the month, so it's our Empowerment Wednesday. And I'm super excited about my guest uh, today. I've wanted to have her on for um, a while. And so please welcome to Faith Place, Ray King. Ray, how are you? 
Oh my gosh, I'm I'm great. I'm really excited to to be here. Thank you so much for for inviting me. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, as my Faith Place audience knows, I always like to let um, you guys know how I know and how I am connected to my guest. And so um, I'll go back and, and Ray probably doesn't even know uh, this story and stuff, but, um, but I, will, I will enlighten my audience. So it was the summer of 2009. And um, I was spending three months the summer in Atlanta. And, um, you know, I'm from Chicago, as you guys know. And um, I went to Atlanta for the summer to help a client of mine out who was starting a radio show on the gospel station in Atlanta, um, the main gospel station in Atlanta. So I was doing some work as she launched her radio show. And so I, um, I remember like, you know, like it was 2009. So social media was kind of just starting to really boom and Facebook was starting to kind of really boom. And we had this segment on the show that was called um, Ask a Pastor. And so I was looking for some guests to, you know, be a part of that segment. And um, I remember being online. And so somebody sent me something that Ray's husband posted online. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling what this pastor has to say. I was like, he, you know, he'd be great to be on the show and stuff. And so, um, so I reached out to him and asked him about being on the show. And he was like, yeah, absolutely and stuff. And so, so he called in and uh, was a part of our, our segment. And so then I was like, you know, I, I want to go check out his, his church and stuff and, you know, and, and just hear a little bit more about him. So uh, so I went and I visited the church and um, that's when I briefly, and you probably don't even remember this, right? Like I briefly <laughs> met, um, met you guys and stuff. And, you know, Bray was the, was the, was the first lady and stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. And so, so yeah, so I, I briefly, I briefly met you guys, um, you know, that, uh, that Sunday and I came like one other time uh, while I was in town for those those three months, but um, but Ray's husband is a worldwide known activist, uh, Sean King, and you know you guys know Sean was on on uh, on uh, Faith Place back in April um, on our social social justice uh, Wednesday. So um, so yeah, so that's that's how I first met uh, Ray. But for a long time, you know, uh, up until I think maybe like is maybe this year. Like Ray was not super, uh, uh, maybe she was active, but she did not have a public social, uh, social yeah. media account. And stuff. That, that's what it is. I was definitely on social media. I was on Facebook. I was yeah. on Instagram. I've not been on Twitter for years. I don't even know um, how long it was since I'd had a Twitter account. But yeah, they were all private until yeah. just last year, actually. Okay, last year. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I know it was like really recent and stuff. And every once in a while, I'd ask Sean, like, you know, uh, when is Ray going to get on, uh, get, get a public uh, page? He was like, mm, that might never be the case. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, oh, okay. And then that, that I, I, I remember like he posted something and, um, and then he had your account. And I was like, what? Wait, wait a minute. Does, does that mean? <laughs> and, and lo and behold, uh, 
you had a public uh, account and stuff. So I was like, yay. But, but since that time, like, you know, I knew um, the little I knew about Ray uh, when I first met her and just through Sean is that uh, she was an educator and she was uh-huh. a mom of uh, multiple children. Multiple. <laughs> they, they look like they're 12, but they, uh, they got multiple kids. So, so, so that's really the extent about what I knew about her until her, her um, Facebook and uh, I should say her Instagram, because that's, that's really what I connected with her on is uh, her Instagram became public. And then I got to see and learn, you know, as many have uh, a little bit about um, her passions and who she is and all that great stuff. So that is my background and that how that is how I'm connected to Ray. So you probably didn't know any of that, Ray, right? No, you know, I didn't. I knew that you had known and that you had connected with Sean like a long time ago. I think you had mentioned, you know, knowing him back when he he was pastoring in Atlanta so I, I knew it was a while but no I didn't know that whole that whole story so yeah. you know that's cool it's not it's not very many people that can rock with my husband for that long right right <laughs> so. yeah. and, and the way I don't even know you know if you know this outside of like that first introduction um then it wasn't until six months later that we like really really connected and that's because he um he put a post out after the earthquake in Haiti and uh-huh. if any of my, you know, Haitian followers know what the biggest need is, please let me know. And so I was like, okay, I, you know, sent him a private text and I was like, literally just about to be in Haiti, like two days after. And I was like, I'll let you uh-huh. know. And so, and so then when I did and stuff, and I was like, you know, it was tense. And, and so I just remember being in Haiti and seeing like the tents. Yeah. And- coming into Haiti and stuff and after that I was like you know what I'm gonna ride and die with him because he took care of my home country and stuff and so like you know and you know what's so crazy about that there are people to this day who will say he never sent tents to Haiti the the internet is so crazy it's so crazy it really is it really yeah you know but then after that like literally every venture and you know your husband it's a venture every month it's something yes (laughs) right (laughs) Stuff. oh but, my god i remember just you know like being a part of hope mob and and uh and you know and all the great things that you know we were able to do with that and stuff and just you know the the auction on twitter and stuff like you know uh-huh. so much money and stuff and everything so yeah so when people try to you know uh come at sean and stuff and you know i'm like yeah you, you don't even know like you know you just, yeah <laughs> you just got yeah in 2020 but you don't even know stuff, right? <laughs> yeah you know? so yeah yeah so that's like really what bonded me and connected me um uh to your husband it's just uh you know the love that he showed to haiti and then i know obviously you you as well you guys took some trips down there and, and yeah and he went like we like totally missed each other and stuff like i was just leaving or he was just leaving i was just getting there and stuff but I loved Haiti so much. Um, I really wanted to stay. I think it was maybe our our second trip there. Um, We were working with an orphanage down there and I had fallen in love with a little girl named Rachel Mm -hmm. and she had special needs and I did not want to leave. And I was like, can't we just stay? Can't we just encourage people from the church to move here with us? You know, like I loved Haiti. It was, first of all, I don't know if people know how stunningly gorgeous it is. Oh, no, it's don't. beautiful. 
-hmm. they don't because it's not what they show on the news and and on television but it is I mean prettier than any island I visited it's absolutely gorgeous and so and the people were so welcoming to us and so hospitable I'll never forget a meal we ate one time there that was prepared for us by some church ladies it was great I love Haiti (laughs) thank you thank you that means a lot so all right let me read this incredible bio and then we will jump into some uh conversation so Ray King is an educator, entrepreneur, philanthropist, and nonprofit leader, graduating from Spelman with a degree in early childhood development and from Arizona State with a master's of arts in curriculum and instruction. Ray was an elementary school teacher for 16 years. A teacher's teacher, Ray often jokes that she has taught in every way possible to teach from public, private, and charter schools to homeschools and even international school. As a nonprofit leader, Ray serves as the equity and learning director for City Year New York. She also chairs the board of directors for a local Brooklyn nonprofit, Read 718, which specializes in providing one-on-one tutoring to low-income students. In response to the COVID pandemic, Ray recognized a major gap in kids enrichment opportunities and started her own nonprofit called Hands In Learning, an education group providing academic and arts classes to families all over the world, regardless of their ability to pay. In addition to being a wife, mother of five, and doctoral student, yeah, she a doctoral student, y'all, at Vanderbilt <laughs> University, Ray currently serves as the Chief Operating Officer for the North Star Media Group. This is Ray King. Wow, that that lady you read about, she sure sounds <laughs> impressive on paper. <laughs> she is impressive. She is impressive. This is a oh lot. Considering you have five kids that are. Uh, um, Three of them are, you know, are on the younger side and stuff. Like, yeah. They'll need a lot of attention. Um, like I said, uh, Ray looks like she's 12, but she's got uh. two kids that are uh, in college and stuff now and everything. So uh, talk to us, Ray, about like how you balance all of the things that you've been balancing and stuff. And as I mentioned, like you are currently, currently a doctoral student, um, currently with, with, uh-huh five kids and stuff and my my best friend just finished her doctoral uh program uh like oh congratulations to her two months ago um after five years and i i feel like it's a congratulations to me because i got her to start the program and i feel like like i was in school like a lot of the times and stuff walking her through it so i know the intensity of that work so how do you balance all of that well, you know what? I don't know if I if I do balance it. I think that there um, there are some days when oh, I, I would say it's on a, a week by week basis. Actually, I find that there are some weeks where I am really doing a great job on the mom front. I'm cooking dinner. The fridge mm-hmm. is full full of food for everybody. Right. You know, I'm all in the kids' business with their homework and schoolwork. And yeah. then the next week, I have to fall off of that and really concentrate on that paper that's due yeah. or something like that. And so I guess it's it's really about you know taking my wins 
accepting my wins when I can. And I've had to learn to not beat myself up in the areas where I do feel myself falling short. Um, and, and my, my therapist, thank God for therapy has really helped me get to this point where I have given up this need for perfection because that's really a trauma response is what I've learned and have just learned to accept and be, be, be thankful, be proud of whatever it is. I, wherever I'm excelling at that moment, trusting that I'm giving every area the absolute best that I can at that moment. And, you know, I thankfully have certain systems in place. Like you said, I do have two older girls who are home from college right now because of the pandemic. And so, you know, I've trained them well, they cook, they order groceries, they, they do laundry, you know, I'm not completely without help and just learning to accept that and, and being okay. If my son is in the same clothes for two or three days, he's 14, I guess he won't die. So, (laughs) so I just, I let it go. I have to let that kind of thing go. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned something really important and really key, um, and I'm a big advocate, and I feel like almost every episode in one form or the other, um, I'm mentioning therapy, because I feel like, you know, uh, everybody needs to be in therapy, like it's, uh-huh. it's maintenance for our, um, for our brain, for our well-being. Yes. And so talk about that a little bit as far as like, you know, what therapy has um, taught you and um, how it's helped you, uh, I think, evolve it's, is ultimately what help what therapy therapy does. Yes, you know, I had never been to a therapist until um, last fall, fall of, well, was it last fall? I, I believe it was um, fall of 2019. So okay. a, about two years ago, my brother-in-law, Sean's brother, yeah. died very suddenly of pancreatic cancer. And it yeah. really just sent our whole, you know, our, our family is small, especially on his side. Um, and it just threw us. He had a wife, he had two children. And yeah. I was shocked by my own response to it, honestly. Like I I went into like a real kind of panic. I don't know if it was just the realization of of death coming so closely and how it can come and interrupt your life without without you even, you know, thinking of it or planning for it. I don't know what it was, but it had a profound impact on me to watch him, you know, past as suddenly as he did and the aftermath of his his wife and children and trying to walk them through that um and Mm -hmm. and so I dealt with it for about a year through like I threw myself into exercise and, and and finding a community and that really helped but last year around this time just it was like the convergence of so many different things my um Uh, like things were really at a breaking point with so many things in Sean's world and so many things that he deals with online and um, our marriage was having a rough time and it was just like so many different things and I was just like I need help you know like I, 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 I literally don't think that I can get through this on mm-hmm. on my own and so my kids were seeing a therapist and she's a black woman in Brooklyn who I had grown to really love and trust and so I asked her for a recommendation she she recommended another black woman for me and I started seeing her on a weekly basis and it just the things that I was able to to realize about myself 
to to kind of reconcile about my journey, um, to see how it would, things that I had experienced were manifesting in my my parenting and 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 my marriage and even my job. I mean, really, from day one, every time I go, I tell her like, "Girl, you just break me down." It's just like so many aha moments and just seeing the way that things are connected that I never would have understood were connected. And so it's just, it's helped me to be a better, I feel like a more aware person, Mm -hmm. um, not as closed off. You know, I grew up kind of rough, not as rough as, as, as anybody can grow up for sure. Um, but I had a single mother, we were really poor. Um, Mm -hmm. I did a lot of raising of myself and to survive. I think I put on this very tough exterior and Mm -hmm. I realized that I've been in survival mode since childhood and never really got out of that. And that has had so many consequences for, for my adult life. And so just being able to have someone to talk to every week about the different things that I'm going through and to provide a different perspective, to challenge me and push me a little bit here and there, it's just been, it's been everything. And I find myself feeling a little guilty, honestly, because of the way this country has made therapy so inaccessible to so many people. And I see the difference it has made for me. And it just, you know, it hurts my heart that we don't treat it as the, the crisis that it, that it really is, that more people don't have access to this. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I always um, parallel therapy to um, car maintenance. And uh, I um, like, I remember I first went to therapy. I was talking about this the other day, um, 30 years ago, like uh, it's been 30 years. I was uh, 19 years old and, um, you know, I lost both of my parents when I was like super young. And uh, it was the first time that I was, you know, away at school on my own and, you know, kind of growing into adulthood a little bit. And, you know, so just, I think that that void and that loss started hitting me in a uh-huh. way. And so I remember I first started kind of going just to learn how to like deal with grief and stuff like that. Um, and then throughout the years, um, I've gone, um, I've gone to therapy every year since since 19, so the past 30 years, but it's wow. been at different um, frequencies and stuff. And uh-huh. so why compared to like car maintenance, it's like, you know, with, with the car, like there are things that you have to do every few days, like you have to fill your car with gas, like every few days, uh-huh. right? But then you don't have to get an oil change every few days. You get that like every, you know, couple months and stuff or longer. And, you know, you might get your battery changed once a year, once a couple uh-huh. months stuff. And so, so like in the same way as you maintain um, a healthy operation of a vehicle, I've always felt like this, just with life period and the things that life throw you, let alone being a person of color, let alone being a woman, let alone being a black woman in this country. Yeah. Um, exhausting. And so um, I've found like throughout the years that, okay, in order for me to, to be um, as functional as well as possible um, and for it to uh, not have a really bad effect, as you talked about on just, you know, with things with 
um, you know, how it affects your marriage. And I'm sure how it affects you as a mother and stuff like, you know, like I felt the same way, like, okay, my, my friends and my community and my family are going to get the worst of me. <laughs> yes. If, um, if I, um, don't maintain and stuff, um, my mental well being and therapy. Yeah. 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 So thank you. Thank you for sharing that and stuff. So, um, okay. So I wanted to, um, ask you about, uh, what I first came to know you as, as, and that's an educator. Um, uh-huh. You've been an educator for uh, 16 years on the teacher side, as well as, you know, kind of some of the administrative side, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so is that something that you, um, that you knew from early on, because you majored in um, early childhood development and stuff in college. So, but did you know like early on, like I want to be an educator? Is that something that you grew up thinking, I want to be a teacher one day? No, you know what? Not at all. Actually, when I when I went to Spelman, I came in as a science major. Okay. I, I love science and particularly genetics. And so I wanted to be a geneticist. And <laughs> Um, and, and so okay. that's, that's, I gotta stop you there and inform the people what a geneticist does or, you know, what do they do? Yeah. So, you know, just, there's so much happening with gene therapy and, you know, um, DNA and everything. And I always found it really fascinating that, you know, studying what made us and, and what small little changes or deviations in our, in our DNA could produce different results. And so, yeah, um, I, I loved it. And, and that's what I wanted to go to school for. Nice. And, something happened. I think my freshman year, there was some kind of fair at, at Spelman, like um, a major's fair. And before I'd even taken one science class, I found the Department of Early Childhood Development and fell in love. And I was like, oh, actually, I think this is what I'm interested in. And I can't tell you exactly what or, or why, um, but I just, I don't know. It, it was just like a, a pool and I never looked back. And now that I think about it, you know, growing up, teachers were very important to me. I can remember the name of every single teacher I had in yeah. elementary school and they played such a pivotal role in my life. Like yeah. I, I mentioned growing up with a single mother, I was really on my own a lot because my mom worked really hard mm-hmm. and I, it was often teachers who filled in the gap for me, coming and picking me up and taking mm-hmm. me to special events and, and, and different things like that. And so now that I look back on it, it makes sense that I would grow up to become a teacher, but wow. yeah, I have my, my mindset on something different different initially yeah yeah okay so now that led um ultimately to obviously uh several different um opportunities and involvement um in the education field but specifically during this pandemic and you know it i've got a good amount of teacher friends and they've all said it's been hell on wheels (laughs) it's i can imagine during uh during this pandemic and you saw a real gap um, during this pandemic specifically. So you started your own nonprofit called Hands in Learning. And tell us about that. Tell us uh, about the heart behind it and what Hands in does. It's so funny. I did not 
set out to start a nonprofit. <laughs> like I wanted nothing to do with the nonprofit world. I had seen my husband start yeah. them and fail and start them and fail because they're really hard yeah. um, to manage. There's so many compliance issues. And, you know, anybody knows my husband knows that he's not the compliant type. Right. And so... <laughs> And so I was just like, after seeing his experience, I was like, I will never start a nonprofit. But mm. lo and behold, when the pandemic happened, you know, I just like other parents was kind of thrown into like this world when like, what in the world, you know, like my kids were home all of a sudden and I was having to manage Zoom links and, mm. and, and a million different websites. And it was, it was overwhelming. Mm. And what was particularly hard was to see the way my kids's um, enrichment activities fell away. There was no more dance, no more art, no more gymnastics or, or music. Yeah. And that hurt them maybe more than anything, you know, and growing up, one of the things that my mom was always very careful to do was to make sure that I had access to quality enrichment activities. And so I got to be in plays and I got to be in the band. I played the French horn for like seven years. Oh, and yes, I loved the French horn. I still do. I it's that's that's on my bucket list is to remember and learn how to play that again at, at some point yeah. when, um, when I've got some time. But um, yeah, and so I just know how important those activities are. It's not that I grew up to play in an orchestra or to, to star on Broadway, but those things gave me really critical skills. You know, I learned how to speak. I learned how to uh, be in front of people and to conquer my fear and, and to overcome my shyness. And I learned how to work hard at something and to practice and fail, like all these things that um, extracurricular activities teach us. Mm -hmm. And and so I was like, I wanted to do something about it. But during the, the spring semester, I was just too overwhelmed with what was going on in my own household. Right. Um, and honestly, I thought this pandemic was going to last a couple months and then we were going to be done. And yeah. so As once I saw... Right. Most of us did. Once I saw it drag into the summer, I was like, oh, this is where we're going to be in the fall, too. I knew I had to do something. And, and honestly, selfishly, it was in large part for my own kids. I wanted my own kids to be able to meet other children and yeah. to be able to resume some of the activities that they loved. And so I, I started hands in um, learning you know, really in response to other parents asking me to, to do something. Right. And I just put out a call like, hey, you know, I'm starting this thing. Do I have people that teach? I reached out to my own friends and I'm like, hey, I've never asked you all for anything, but I'm gonna need you to pull up and right. read some books to some preschoolers and, and right. teach some kids some, some different things. And they did. They all said yes. I ended up with over 20 different teachers um, right. who, who agreed to teach this for next to nothing because I did not have money to pay them right. what their classes were actually worth. And when I tell you this community has been such a blessing, not just for the kids, but even for, for me and, and the other mostly moms in the group who we've gotten to know each other and we've yeah. had meetups and 
um, it's just been a really fulfilling experience. I'm, I'm definitely going to do it again for the spring and, and then I'm just going to see what happens um, after that, because I really don't, I, I still don't necessarily want to be a, a, a manager and a director of a nonprofit, but for now, I'm just really glad to be able to feel, to fulfill this need where parents are getting to take, you know, for some parents can only afford a dollar a month. Yeah. Um, and other parents, you know, are paying like $25 a month, $50 a month, but whatever they pay, it covers their entire household. Every child in their house can mm-hmm. take as many classes as they want for whatever amount they're able to pay. And so I'm, I've had parents tell me like, I'm so glad you started this. This was literally the only thing I could afford for mm-hmm. my child to be involved in. And so it's, it's been a major blessing and I'm glad to, I'm glad that I said yes to this yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, okay, so I, I want to transition. You said something um, while you were while you were sharing about um, starting hands in. Um, that kind of is a great segue into this question that I have, as it relates to what you discovered about yourself. Um, you know, uh, I, I think if people follow you now on on social media and see you know, some of your posts and listen to some of your podcasts, it, it kind of probably hard to believe that you were actually shy. Um, and, so, <laughs> I, I, and, you know, and oftentimes people like to group spouses together and be like, oh, if this spouse is outspoken, the other spouse might be outspoken and stuff, you know. Um, but I wanted to find out what have you discovered about yourself um, as the girl from Kentucky, which, you know, you're from Kentucky. Um, mm-hmm the woman living in New York City city now in, uh, in Brooklyn, right? In Brooklyn? Yes. Yes. We live in Brooklyn. That's such a great question, Faith, because I have actually discovered a lot about myself yeah. um, in this move to, to, to New York. One, I would say two things that I am infinitely more powerful and also more vulnerable than mm. I ever would have thought. You know, I talked a little bit about that that hard shell that I had to put on and, and to be in survival mode right. from um, the time I was a child. And some of that has been shed, you mm-hmm. know, over the, the last couple of years, particularly as I've engaged in um, therapy. Yeah. Um, but also New York, I feel like it's the kind of place that forces you to be bold. Like yeah. it really, it rewards people who are willing to, to take risks mm-hmm. and who are willing to put themselves out there. And I haven't always been that person, you yeah. know, all those things that you read in my bio, all these things that I, that I, that I'm doing and currently engaged in that's just happened over the last two or three years or so. Um, before that, I was very much a play it safe kind of person. You know, I became a teacher and I didn't try to do anything else other than teaching and raising kids for about 16 years, you know? Um, and it wasn't until we moved to New York and 
I just saw that there were so many other opportunities open to me um, mm-hmm. that I decided to start kind of like taking chances okay. and seeing what I could do. Even something as small as getting on the subway for me and and navigating such an enormous place on my own. There was there were some moments where I was I remember one time I got lost and I'm calling Sean crying because I didn't know where I was. I stepped off the subway. I walked up the steps and I I was like, where am I? And I couldn't get my GPS to work. It was, it was a mess. And, but it, it was like those kinds of experiences, like New York forces you to get up and keep trying again and, and to just really go for it because you don't make it in a city like New York yeah. if you're not willing to put yourself out there. You know, there are too many other people who are ambitious mm-hmm. and who are going after that same job. And so New York has definitely taught me that I am more powerful than I ever than I ever would have imagined. And also though, like I said, more vulnerable. This is a hard city to live in. And um, some of that, like I said, that tough exterior has has been shed as I realized like, oh, you know, I can't do this on my own. And I actually, I need some help. And so yeah. thankful to be able to have the resources to, to do that. Right, right. And yeah, because you guys have been through a lot of transition as far as like, um, I, I, I myself, I've lived in 10 different cities in two different countries. And I, I know you guys have, um, I've, I've seen um, <laughs> and been in touch uh, with Sean as you guys have moved from uh, city to city. Um, yeah. Lived, uh, uh, you guys lived in South Africa for a little while, I remember. And stuff. Yeah. I was like, what? Y'all going where? Where now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we did that. Just That was just a spur of the moment kind of thing as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Going to South Africa for a few months. That was that was great. But yeah, we've lived a lot. We've moved a lot. <laughs> right. All right. So with that, I want to ask you about just, um, and, you know, digging a little bit as far as um, just the lessons that you've learned. Um, I don't even want to say the last couple of years, because again, as we referenced at the beginning, um, you know, Sean has been um, a part of this movement, you know, and helping folks and fighting for justice before there was even a Black Lives Matter movement that people know of now and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and so, you know, the, the, the famous saying, and now it's even a documentary, uh, a show, I don't know, the, I think it's on. I think it's on Netflix. Um, that's called uh, Behind the Man. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Yeah, it's this new um, docu series, and um, it features different women um, that are the driving force, if you will, um, behind these men that we know in public figure. And so, you know, it's like the saying: behind every great man, there's a is a woman that's you know holding them up and stuff you know, uh-huh. and everything. And so I knew just like all these years, you know, being in constant communication and contact with Sean, like, you know, I'd always, you know, ask about you and stuff, you know, before you were before you were, you know, public, uh public right and stuff, you know, when you were, <laughs> you were private on uh, social media and stuff, you know. But like I knew um, you know, I knew that I knew and know that he's uh, able to do what he does um, because of 
because of the support um, that you give him and uh, and the space that you give him. But obviously, it's not without cost, as you referenced. You know, some of the uh-huh. job stuff in your marriage. So I want you to talk about like you know some of the lessons that you've learned from you know being married to the shameless plug for one of your podcasts. We'll <laughs> Uh, but what are some of the lessons that you've learned? Yeah, I, gosh, oh my gosh, so, so many lessons. You know, Sean and I talk on our, on our podcast, Married to the Movement, about how we met and when we met. And, you know, we've been together since I was 15 years old. And I think that I always knew that, or I, I always had a sense that God was kind of preparing me for something or for some kind of, um, just for something. I thought Sean was going to be a pastor and that, you know, I was kind of being prepared to be a pastor's wife, which certainly has its own challenges that are not very different from being uh, married to, exactly. You know, they're very, they're very much alike. Um, And, and so that's what I had in my mind, but you know, being married to someone who's so involved in this movement does have very specific challenges and it has stretched me in so many different ways. Um, As a wife, you know, my husband's time does not necessarily belong to me and my family in the way that other people's households may look. Mm -hmm. You know, he is kind of always on call on a day like, you know, last night, like yesterday, for instance, during the, you know, when they were trying, everyone was trying to stop the execution of um, Brandon Bernard, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I didn't see Sean all day or all night. I went to sleep without him, you know, as he was doing lives with people and strategizing with his team and and different things like that. And so one of the things that I've learned is when you are going to, I I guess, I don't know if a line is the right word, but when you're going to kind of yoke yourself with someone, it is very, I feel like important to consider their purpose and what that could potentially mean. None of us knows what the future holds, obviously, but you know, what that could potentially mean for what your life with that person might look like. Um, Because for so long, I fought against this, Mm -hmm. you know, this idea of who Sean was and what the call on his life was. And I would say, can't you just be a mailman? Or why can't you just do regular people stuff, right? Like, just go get a regular job. Let's have a nice, quiet little life. But as long as that was my desire and my expectation, we were always going to be at odds with each other because I was basically asking him to operate outside of the thing that he had been called to do. And that's that's never going to be a recipe for success. And so that's that's definitely a lesson that I've had to learn. It's just like, okay, this man has been this man since we were 15 and 16 years old. Sean has always been serious. He's always been outspoken. He's always taken the hardest path and gone against the grain. Like this is the path that he was destined to walk. And Mm -hmm. I believe that I was destined to walk it with him. And so what adjustments do I have to make to my expectations and, and how, how can I best support him while also finding my own voice, you know, in this time. So that's a lesson. And then the other one I would say is, 
you really do have to to play to an audience of one because Mm -hmm. he is the things that he fights for and the way that he does it is often just very you know controversial and he is up and he's down and he's well liked and he's despised and it is you know he's you know blacklisted and and then he's everywhere it's just you never know what it is and if you really depend on the lauding of people in in the midst of this work you will find yourself lost and depressed and making decisions not because it's what your heart knows is the thing to do but because you're trying to garner favor with man and And so I think the things that you uh, alluded to are like so key like you have to know um, and be clear about like the purpose of of that person Um, yeah and it's not easy to do, you know, I mean, first of all, people change, you know, Sean's had a million different careers <laughs> just in the, the couple of, the couple of decades that we've been married, you know, he started out as a pastor and then he was going to be, you know, an entrepreneur and then a journalist and then an activist and, you know, all these and different he was, things. He was a teacher too, right? He was a teacher first. He was a teacher, exactly. And what I realized now though, is that he was, you know, first of all, we were together at an age when people are naturally trying to find themselves, you know, in your, your teens and your twenties. But then also it all really still centered around this same idea of wanting to, to help people and, and to serve people. And I didn't, I was too young to understand what that meant Hmm. and what that would require of me. Um, and, And it was just, you know, again, once I came to that level of maturity and realization, it just became a lot easier for me to accept the work that he did. Still not always the way that he did it. You know, there was still, I felt like a lot of lessons that he had to learn about how, how to surround himself with people that were going to help and, and bolster him in his areas of weakness. And, and, and that's been a struggle, but accepting you know, the call that is on his life, you know, that's just, that's a place that I had to get to. And it's just been so much better since I was, since I was able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, in all of that, it sounds like you have found um, your purpose. And as you um, shared earlier, just a lot of the things that are in your bio have come across like the last two or three years. And so I want you to talk specifically about um, about that and people walking in their purpose and um, encourage women, um, I think especially millennials, um, in um, how to discover and walk in their purpose. You know what I so another shameless plug for another podcast that I host, yep. um, Woke at Work. One of my absolute favorite episodes, I think it was episode two, that we um, myself and my my co-host Blanca Louise, we interviewed a woman named Erica Hamilton and she just dropped so many gems about how to set up what she called your portfolio life. Uh, people have to go and listen to it. It was such a great episode. And what, what my relationship with Erica really did was it taught me to have the courage to really dream about the life that I wanted and not just in my career but how did I want my time to look how what what 
kinds of hours did I want to be available to spend with my children, to vacation with my family, to work on pet projects. A lot of times we think about, oh, what I want to be, what do I want to be, what I want my career, but it's about so much more than that. Like, what do you want your leisurely time to look like? And just questions that I had never really thought about and 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 how when you're able to answer those questions how it can really shape the opportunities that you go after and the opportunities that you say no to and then what you bring to the negotiating table when you do decide to pursue a particular um activity and or opportunity and so you know, what I would say about walking in your purpose is sometimes you walk into your purpose. Sometimes as you're going through your, your, your daily life, or you're looking at this or looking through that, you stumble on it, right? It's not always such a defined place, you know, Um, sometimes you just, you kind of walk into it. And, and so I would say, if you don't feel today, like you are doing the thing that you are feel most fulfilled in maybe your job isn't is is just just paying the bills and you could care less about it Um, maybe you see your children way less than you wish you did or you don't have any hobbies that you have time for my question is like what can you do today to start on that path like what can you do today um because it is a journey, it is a path and there'll be twists and turns and setbacks and all that kind of stuff. But what can you do to start on the path? Start asking yourself those questions about, you know, Erica, Erica Hamilton, who we interviewed, this lady had literally set up her life such that she was able to spend her summers with her family in Italy because she left one job and intentionally looked for something that was going to allow her to teach abroad for certain weeks like that's specific and I was like oh that's amazing right like to dream on that level so yeah that's that that would be my advice and and it's so interesting because you made the point about um like uh finding um how did you say when you talked about the leisurely what did she say um I don't know, like, how do you want to spend your leisurely time? How do you want to spend your leisurely time? And I think so often, um, again, as women, specifically as Black women, um, it's so driven into our psyche um, that we do, 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 work, work, work. um, Yes. Take care of the husband, take care of the family, kids and stuff. And, you know, we put ourselves last. Yep. I think just that point as far as the leisurely you know, this concept, if you will, of self-care, I think is just still a concept for a lot of Black women that that's for others, like that. For sure. Stuff like, you know, we don't, we don't do self-care. We don't get self-care. So I think that, that if that's so key, that's so important that, you know, self-care looks different for, for everybody. Yeah. It's not just like, like being, you know, at the spa and stuff for the massage and everything, but, you know, 
Really no, is. like for me lately, self-care has just meant uh, making time for myself every night, even mm -hmm. if it's just 10 minutes or so to read a book that I enjoy. Yeah. You know, like you, like you said, I'm in a doctoral program and there's a lot of academic reading, but I love, I love nonfiction books. And I had, when I first started my program, I had just kind of given up the, the idea of being able to read um fiction again I mean not nonfiction, but the idea of being able to read fiction right. and and then this semester I was just like well why did I do that you know like I yeah. might not be able to meet, read as many books as I would normally read in a year but I can still read something and I literally just finished like a, a thousand page book um right. the other night just because I gave myself that 10 minutes a night before I before I went to sleep so yeah self-care can look like anything um, you said something earlier. I, I meant to uh, I meant to comment on it and stuff because you reminded me of something that um, uh, I'm, I'm one of the books I'm currently uh, listening to. Um, I am an audio person and stuff, so I uh -huh. um, to books and so I've, I've been listening to um, uh, Barack Obama's uh, latest book. And me so, too. I'm also listening to that on audiobook. Yeah, yeah so he makes this point and it's <laughs> something that you that you said when you were talking about how with Sean and you thought like you, you know you wanted your life to be regular and stuff and like you're like you know why can't you be have a regular job and stuff and, <laughs> and it reminded me of a part of the book where you know uh with uh Barack Obama when he says that you know Michelle felt the same way and stuff you know and uh-huh them this question like you know um and the way that he said it that's why i love audiobooks especially when it's read by the author because he was like you know michelle like looked at him and said like god barack when is it going to be enough you know yeah yeah so, exactly i uh, definitely identify with uh i've read michelle obama's um book becoming yeah. and oh my gosh i saw so many parallels between yeah. you know kind of the way her the trajectory of her marriage and and mine yeah. just as you said yeah yeah so um okay well this is the final question <laughs> um and it's something that i ask all my guests because our mantra at faith place is that we are purpose to provoke position and propel so i always like to ask my guests which p best describes the season that you're in today and why so provoke position or propel you know i would say I, I thought about this and it's really it's tricky i think it's somewhere between position and propel i would say position because you know right now even in my doctoral program I'm, I'm kind of trying to position myself to be able to take advantage of of certain opportunities later on down the line mm -hmm. um but i would off i would also say propel because i'm also in a season where i'm seeing so many things that i have hoped for and um strived for for so long um, come to fruition, you know? And so I, I would say for me, it's it, in different areas of my life, it's either position or propel. Mm, okay. That's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I co-sign with that. I can see that. Um, <laughs> I am, um, I'm, you know, as I was thinking about, as I often do when I, when I think about who I want to have kind of speak and share you know, to my audience and stuff. And um, especially for our empowerment um, segments and stuff, because I want people 
to feel like at the end of the day, um, they can do it, whatever it is for them and stuff like, you know, because it is different for all of us, whatever our it is. And mm-hmm. so, um, so when I thought about um, you, know, you and having on and having you share all the information that um, I know a little bit of a glimpse of kind of from the inside stuff, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like I have a little front row, a little bit, stuff, you know, uh, yeah. Rock- Ride or die for a long time has its privileges, right? <laughs> so. for, for sure. You have been, you have just been such a strong, uh, such a strong support for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I, I wanted to just, um, yeah, have my, have my audience get the opportunity to, um, yeah, to hear you share, to hear you um, uh, give insight and stuff as to, uh, the things that you've uh, been through and stuff and um, where you are now. And so thank you so much for your time, for sharing. And I want to give you the opportunity to share how people can support you, the different things that you're doing. Um, you talked a little bit about hands in, uh, but I want you to get more specific how, how people get connect to that and share your different podcasts and anything else you want to share, how people can connect with you and follow yeah. you are a public uh, figure on social media now. <laughs> well, I'm a public figure, I'll say, on Instagram. Oh, um, that is really the only place where I show up. Yes. Um, and so on Instagram, I am Mrs. M-R-S Ray, R-A-I King, Mrs. Ray King on Instagram. And then to learn more about Hands in Learning, folks can go to handsinlearning.com. We have a brand new website up and they can they can connect with us there in one of three ways. They can um, either join and get their family signed up to participate in our classes. Um, mm-hmm. Also, they can donate and you can give a one-time donation or a, um, a recurring donation and whatever you give goes directly to supporting kids and their learning. We This is all volunteer-based. I'm a volunteer. I don't get paid. No one no one is on the payroll for Hanson. We don't have that kind of money yeah. um, at this point. And so everything that you give, you know, goes to make sure that a family can join. I have never turned a family away for their inability to pay. Like I said, if it's a dollar a month, then that's what they pay. And so you can donate. You can also sign up to teach. If you have a certain skill that you'd be willing to share with our kids, we we support kids all the way from pre-K through all the way through high school. And so if it is art or dance or magic, whatever it is that you do, um, there's a form for you to connect with us there to, to volunteer to teach. And then the podcasts are Married to the Movement and Woke at Work, which we're currently um, recording our second season for. And they're on every place where you can listen to a podcast. And Woke at Work, I should say, is W-O-C. We were trying to be cute with women of color and calling it woke. Um, There was a healthy debate about whether or not that was a good idea, but that's what we went with. And so, yeah, I would love for you to listen. Awesome. Awesome. And then um, lastly, I wanted to make sure that you also share about the fact that you are COO of the North Star Media Group, and it is such a wealth of information that's needed. So please share with people about North Star 
media. Yeah, you can go to the northstar.com. We are a completely independent black and brown operated and owned um, media platform. And a lot of the, the news that, that we get from other sources, a lot of it appears black owned and it really isn't. Um, it's, it's bought, it runs off of you know, advertisements were completely ad-free, completely yeah. member-supported, um, and that just really allows us to speak truth of power to power. There's no one censoring our podcast, no one censoring our articles, um, and and we really try to to tell the truth of what's happening um, in the fight against police brutality, but from the perspective of you know some of the victims of police brutality and really bringing humanity and giving voice to those who are most closely affected. And so, yeah, check us out at the northstar.com. The vast majority of our content is free, but we would love to have your support there as well. Amazing, amazing. Well, thank you so much again, Ray, for stopping by Faith Place. Appreciate all that you shared and we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Faith. Take care. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Well, thank you for spending some time with us and stopping by Faith Place. A great big shout out again to Mrs. Ray King for stopping by, sharing her heart um, and wisdom and knowledge with us and appreciate so much the work that she's doing. So make sure you follow her on social media as well as support the um, co-op with Hands In as well as the North Star Media Group. All the links will be in the show notes. Now, next week is our fourth Wednesday. So it's our wellness Wednesday. And we'll have a special guest that's going to focus on women wellness. So ladies, this one's for you. So make sure you tune in for that. Um, if you can do us a favor and you can follow us on social media, we are at Faith Place Pod on Instagram and on Twitter. And we are at Faith Place Podcast on Facebook. You can always email us at faithplacepodcast at gmail.com. Send us your comments, your questions. We have a fifth Wednesday coming up at the end of um, this month. And so that's my Q&A. And so please do me a favor, leave me any questions that you might have you want me to answer. And then last but not least, can you do us a favor and send us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave us a great review. We would really appreciate that. All right. Well, at Faith Place, as you know, we are purpose to provoke, position, and propel. See you next week.